Hi, everyone. I'm Anita Lustria, and for many years I did live radio. Then I transitioned to the podcast world where I feel I found my home. I love talking about spiritual formation, justice issues, and spiritual practices. Throw in the Enneagram, movies, and current events from time to time, and that's what you get on the podcast. I'm glad you've come along for the ride. Welcome to Faith Conversations. Welcome to Faith Conversations, everyone. I'm Anita Lustria. Glad you're along with me again this week on the podcast. Uh, I am really excited to have Daryl Hall with me. Um, We're going to talk about what I think is an interesting subject. Just ask my son, John, about this. I'm always calling him a millennial, you know, talk about labeling. Anyway, we're going to get into some labels, but hopefully not in a labely way. So uh, Daryl Hall is campus pastor of Elizabeth Baptist Church in Conyers, Georgia. Um, he regularly preaches and teaches across five generations. Just let that sink in across five generations. You know how when you had kids and they're all in the same generation and it's really hard to communicate to them, just think preaching across five generations. Well, anyway, he is experienced in the pulpit for sure. A preacher, a teacher, a speaker, Um, He's been in so many different venues, and we get to talk with him here in the podcast universe. Um, I think it's interesting that his uh, D-Min is from Beeson Divinity School, but what it's about fascinates me, um, where it's his doctoral research focused on generational intelligence and effective intergenerational communication. Yeah, we're going to get into some of that today. So let me just say a big welcome to Daryl Hall to Faith Conversations. Hey, Anita, thank you for having me. I'm glad to be on. I'm excited to be here. Well, I should say before we even get started, your book is called Speaking Across Generations, and it's published by the good folks at InterVarsity Press. And your subtitle is Messages That Satisfy Boomers, Xers, Millennials, Gen Z, and Beyond. And I'm glad you said and beyond. I was hoping there were no more names that I had to learn, but you know, there will be right. New generations come along. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. I think we need to know your story. I think it's fascinating that you're writing about this. And usually there's a story behind a book, especially an author's first book. What, what drew you to this whole topic of uh, paying attention to the generations, even realizing that you're speaking regularly to that many generations at once. Um, why dig into the research on this? That's a great question. And I've shared a time or two, you know, my story, and I'll share it with you all here in a minute. But when you asked me that, it made me think about something unique in my story I don't think I've shared before. So what made me notice it is the anxiety I was feeling week in and week out, looking at the age range of people who, you know, were coming to my church and looking at their age against the backdrop of my own age. So well, I started, and, and, and can I yeah. interrupt you for a second? Because, Please. you know, people listening to the podcast, they don't have the benefit of that I do of looking at you here as we, we have video up, at least while we're re- recording. You're a youngster, you know, you're so, so I, I don't know what, age you started preaching, but I think fairly young, if I'm not mistaken. I did. Yeah, I started preaching at 17. And I mean, like, 
preaching in some major opportunities. Wow. You know, the church where I was raised and reared in has been a mega multi-site, multi-million dollar revenue church for, for the longest. And so I was my pastor's pulpit assistant. And at, you know, 18, 19 years old, I would regularly fill in for him to pack sanctuaries of thousands of people. Wow. And it was just baptism through fire. It was fish in water. It was me at home, not really aware of the amazing dynamic God was uh, was working out through me and developing in me. But when I went to, when I moved from being his pulpit assistant through the youth pastorate into campus pastoring, then I was stationary at one campus and I was young at the time. I was 27, I'm 35 now. And so it wasn't until I had the authority or responsibility of being pastor that I realized the anxiety that comes with trying to help to spiritually form, shape, and influence people who are older than you. And that was a major transition for me coming out of the youth pastor role to people who are now older. And I think the Holy Spirit drew my attention to it through my anxiety within it and helping me find myself again, find my voice, be comfortable with who I was in, in my truest sense, my culture, including my generational culture, while at the same time being able to fill the shoes or expectations that people older than me would have for me as a pastor. So I want to, I want to ask another clarifying question before you move forward in the story. It's so interesting to me that um, you were in the pulpit, you know, filling in, doing different things, preaching at such a young age. Did your senior pastor see something in you? Did you feel a call really young and, and, you know, make it a point to get to know him or, and, and then the other question I want to ask is, um, you know, it didn't start and end there. You, you went on for theological education. It, It, you know, it wasn't, um, that wasn't the the beginning and ending of your training right there at your church. You you went on for further education, which is also interesting. And I've just wondered if the pastor, senior pastor was like, you've got what it takes. You, you've got a call on your life. You, whatever, we need to get you more education. How, how did that all happen? Yeah, those are interesting questions. And, and the short answer is yes. And yes, <laughs> yes. I sister calling my life. And yes, my pastor was very supportive. And coached me through every interval of, uh, of theological training and, and coaching. Right before I accepted my call to preach, I remember it like it was yesterday. It was September 11, 2003. Wow. I was a senior in high school. And 9-11 was already a special day for me because it was my mom's birthday before it became, wow. you know, okay. uh, the infamous 9-11. So prior to me accepting my call to preach, my mom told me she was a young mother when she had me. She was 15 when she had me and she told me when I was 15 that I needed to go to college but we didn't have any money so we started to enter me into these oratorical contests that I thought were just experiences for me to earn scholarships and for years I lost I mean never played never won never got the big check never came in first place until my senior year of high school where I won you know on multiple levels, citywide, all the way to international oratorical contests, and amassed $30,000 in cash, you know, scholarships for school. And the reason communication is so important to me, and your question just made me think about this. As a young Black male coming up in 
the inner city of Atlanta, I was a statistic in every sense of the word. My mom was 15. We were socioeconomically disadvantaged. And I thought my ticket out would be athletics or some other promising way out, which it wasn't. Communication was the way that I was able to engage the world and have the world see me for who I am beyond my socioeconomic, racial, or you know whatever disadvantage people could have seen. And quite frankly, being able to communicate well opened doors for me to enter spaces of people who were different races, different creeds, different uh, financial educational statuses and be seen, supported and celebrated. And so when it came to this book and through my lens of accepting my call to preach, I realized God wasn't just having me earn money for school. He was preparing me to preach his word. And my pastor saw the call. I expressed a call to him that Sunday, which mm-hmm. should be September 12th, 2003, if I remember correctly. And from that moment, he gave me his word that we would be like Paul and Timothy. And uh, he asked me to stay home for college, not to go away for college. Okay. And he would coach me through. And he did. And theological education was his standard. And I just rose to his expectations of me uh, in that regard. And I, and I thank him to this day for challenging me, pushing me, and requiring me, quite frankly, to, uh, to be theologically trained. And so when I got to the point of writing the book, there's this confluence of communication was the way God blessed me to rise above my circumstances and to engage the world without prejudice. God called me to preach his gospel, which is a sacred call. Plus I'm in this doctoral program and I need to make sense of the anxiety in me week in and week out and see if I can't catch lightning in a bottle of what the Holy Spirit is doing and encourage other people who may feel the same. I like that. Catch lightning in a bottle of what the Holy Spirit is doing. It's pretty, that's kind of like what it is, right? <laughs> what it's like. Yeah. <laughs> so, so you had this anxiety, you're preaching, you're looking out over the congregation and you're realizing, wow, these people are all over the map um, generationally. How on earth do I communicate week in and week out in a way that they w- will hear? And, and actually, I also want to say not, not every pastor that stands up in the pulpit is thinking those thoughts. I, I wish more of them were. Yeah, <laughs> but, me too. <laughs> right. <laughs> but not everyone is thinking that, but is, so that's, that's why you decided I'm going to move toward this topic for my doctoral thesis then. Wow. Yeah. I wish, I wish more pastors were asked a question. And to be honest, I think that they are, it's just a way that the question is being phrased in public arenas or in private conversations, I wanted to kind of help contribute to the phraseology of the question and the solution for for the question. And so you have many pastors who are seasoned up in age, who realize the gap, who fear losing their cutting edge, Mm -hmm. and quite frankly, who are using old tools that have gotten them this far and may not know what tools need to be added. Then you got young pastors like myself who are completely overwhelmed by the responsibility of shepherding people through life, people who have more life experience than you. And I didn't understand exactly what I was doing by mistake Mm. that would cause them to keep wanting to hear the gospel through me. Mm. So I needed to investigate (laughs) 
and help formulate language around it that Mm -hmm. I hope could encourage preachers Mm -hmm. who either don't ask the question and they should be Mm -hmm. or are asking the question and don't know the answer to it. You know, I think it's interesting. You just made the comment about um, aging or older pastors who are still using old tools. And what popped into my mind as you said that was um, medical doctors who and and plenty of other fields too, but that one just popped into my mind that have to go regularly for continuing education Mm -hmm. and that, that, that those in pastoral ministry would be well served, you know, to get continuing education as well. And to just, you know, to have, take workshops on new topics that are relevant to today or whatever. I mean, just for, to give them these newer tools. Um, yeah, you just, yeah, I, I do think that is a unfortunate reality of our field. Yeah. Um, and that is, there's no governing body that unifies to establish a standard for ongoing practicing right yeah there's no standard for practitioners to maintain our license you know once licensed always licensed um you know you can or cannot seek out theological training and then you know there's so many different polities in place with different denominations that right you know you know how, how do pastors do that in a in a unified way outside of uh you know seminary and yeah. that's why we thank god for people like like you anita who have podcasts and conference hosts and authors mm. i think we're trying to contribute yes. to that totally that well that's, gaping hole and in, in, in that need i just talked to someone um yesterday i had I didn't have I started to say i had coffee with her not true we went out for ice cream <laughs> i had nice. ice cream with her but we <laughs> we were talking about um issues, stuff going on in our world. And I was, um, we got to talking actually about foster children, fostering. And, and I, I said, sometimes I can get, um, frustrated or sad or heartbroken, whatever the descriptor, um, and thinking, what can I do? And then I said, I know what I can do. I, at least I have a mouthpiece and can help educate. I can talk to people that know what to do that can, you know, um, help educate, um, the people that listen to the podcast. So it's, it is that question. What can we do where we are with the gifts that we have and the, the mouthpiece that we have? And, you know, here you are writing a book talking about this. So I love, I love that. Um, let's, let's get into talking about, um, generational science, a little bit about generational science. Uh, you know, most of us have heard, or most of us know what generation we're a part of, I think, mm-hmm. you know, if you at like, I'm a boomer. Yep. I'm a boomer. And my kid, I have one is a millennial. Okay. <laughs> I know this. I am too. I'm a millennial. <laughs> <Are you? laughs> Which I didn't realize somehow I thought he was more on the high end. He's 29, but you're on the real, on the high end of millennial, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe the very top. Are you at 35? I am at no, the millennial stars depends upon what bracketing, but between okay. 80 and 83, I'm born in 86. Okay, so I am so, an older millennial. Right. So 80s born millennials on the older side, 90s born millennials okay. on the younger side. So I, I'm not even, and, and I realize I'm not even sure where to start with this conversation about generations. What, what do we need to know? We certainly know we're aware in our world 
even uh, as you watch communication, um, uh, I'll say this, someone who, a boomer who's watched, you know, Facebook and then realizing, oh, no one younger than me is on Facebook anymore. <laughs> you know, it's like Instagram or the TikTok or there's whatever, you know, you fill in the blank. I don't know all that stuff. Me, it's Facebook and Instagram only. Uh, I don't, I, so we watch the world develop and pretty quickly in ways that communicate to up and coming generations. Culturally around us, there's great awareness, I think, but in the church is something different though, isn't it? I feel like we've not, we don't have the same awareness. Yeah. And I think that awareness is, is not just ignorance. I think it is the fear that to focus on culture or other branches of intelligence would be a de-emphasis of theology, uh -huh. scripture, the gospel. And so I think we mean well in the church and our emphasis of theology, the gospel, scripture, and what so have you, spiritual things. But I think in so doing, we make the mistake of de-emphasizing other very useful, credible, you know, um, ideas, concepts, and points of views that can make us you know, more effective gospel communicators and, 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 and more like what Jesus would be if he was alive during our day and during our time. And so I think generational science is one of those things that we should add as a tool to our ministerial tool belt or to our personal toolkit. So whether you're a preacher totally. or teacher or whether you're just a, you know, a grandmother trying to, you know, connect with her grandchildren or whether you are a leader in an organization trying to build a bridge for younger team members. Generational science is something that benefits all of us. And I think the core of what it communicates is, is that people born within a similar bracket of time and labeled as such, like boomers, Xers, millennials, those people are uniquely different from those born during other brackets. And be, because they're uniquely different, they are worth studying, investigating, and, and just discovering how they have been uniquely shaped by the world and how they may uniquely shape the world. So generational science helps me to appreciate that you're not just a boomer because you were born between 46 and 64. You are a boomer culturally that there are certain factors during your coming of age years that shape the way you communicate, the way you see the world, the a lens that you bring to all places that you go. And as a millennial, if I'm gonna pastor boomers, I should respect that boomers are worthy to be investigated. I can't assume I understand the world they were born into without intentionally seeking out that information in many ways, that I, in any way that I can. And, um, you know, and being a um, being a, a missionary to boomers, mm. studying boomers as a separate people group mm. with culture, language, okay. and that. and respecting their otherness as not something that is wrong or ungodly or worldly, but it is just otherness. It's it's the otherness of boomer culture. Boomers don't have to become millennials to become Christians. Blacks don't have to become whites to become Christians. Gentiles don't have to become Jews to become Christians. Women don't have to become men to become Christians. 
So these demographic differences should be respected. The otherness should be respected, investigated, and uh, and it should inform the way we we communicate with people. Do you have like a um, do you have a um, like a a list of of a few characteristics of each of the generations that you kind of spit out there? I don't know. I don't know if there if I don't know how that's how you've put together. what what you're writing about if you go into that kind of detail or not i i just know that as i um as i was a boomer with a millennial son i realized somewhere along the way that there were overlaps with us and or for us and and maybe that's true there probably are overlaps in a variety of ways with different generations um i'll just let you answer that i sort of Throw out something big, but <laughs> yeah, no, that's a great question. So, yes, I don't have it listed, but yeah. I have read as yeah. widely as I can and written as deeply as I can that I have this working understanding, this ongoing developing understanding of the unique characteristics of each generation. And I try to boil it down in my book to the language preference of that uh-huh. generation, and I name that language. And we arrive at that language based upon sociological, political, and communicative factors that shape that generation during its coming of age years, what I would define as about 13 till about 30, Uh, okay? And so as a result, we look at some characteristics and we arrive at and give language to or names to the language for each generation. What I would affirm though, about your uh, your point about boomers and millennials is the overlap, I think, between boomers and millennials is our sheer bigness. Oh, okay. I think that's one of the major overlaps. Boomers were the largest, uh, you know, generation in American history. Until. <laughs> until millennials, <laughs> right, until, right, until their children and, and, and for some boomers, uh, millennials can be grandchildren as well you know, until millennials. So we have more live births in the millennial generation than in the boomer generation, and also currently more living millennials than, than, than living boomers. So I think one thing those two cohorts have in common is the sheer bigness, j- just the imprint of their live births that the world retrofits itself hmm. around those two generations. And the others are kind of left in the shadows. So the elders, the Xers, the Zers, and the alphas aren't drawing as much headlines, attentions, you know, attention, mm-hmm. and, and even, you know, support and research as boomers and millennials, because it's just more of us than them. So I think that's one thing boomers and millennials have in common. Well, talk about the la- you you mentioned a, a common language, or is mm-hmm. that how you worded it? So that t- is how, yeah. Talk about that with the different generations. I'm really curious about that. Okay. So in the book, my argument is that each generation is its own people group with its own culture and corresponding language. And to investigate this hypothesis, we did a nationwide, um, some nationwide research. Me with my friends at Barna, we created it together. They executed it on my behalf. And essentially what we did was we took sermon clips and excerpts from sermon manuscripts from different preachers. And we surveyed a thousand adults across the United States and asked them to listen to these clips, read these excerpts, 
and pick which ones they preferred. <sighs> then we came back and compared the years they were born to the sermons they preferred and discovered that there is a preference each generation has for the language they prefer in preaching. And I think it goes beyond preaching to communication. So I'll give you one example. Yeah. Millennial, the language of millennials is dialogue. So dialogical communication is the language of the millennial culture. So anybody seeking an inroads to influence the way millennials think, feel, or act should come through the door of dialogue into the ears of millennials. That if dialogue is not your access point, you're going to lose, um, you know, the probability of being able to connect with a room full of millennials. Dialogue is when communication sounds like listening. So this is so interesting. Okay. Because, okay. <laughs> I, and I think this might be why I, I feel like I have this uh, overlap with my son. I'd never thought of this until you just described the, the communication style, this dialogue, because uh, I'm a white woman who grew up in a, a very conservative evangelical culture that was male dominated. I want dialogue because I never got it because mm. I wasn't part of the conversation. Yep. ever. And I'm like, I'm done with that. <laughs> and, and so I think that I had this understanding with my son and we, even in our, who we are as mother and son, very dialogical or whatever, yes. however you say it, dialogue. Yeah. So that's so, that's fascinating. And, and to me. I would be willing, I would be willing to guess that you didn't have that dynamic with your parents. Right. Not so so much. you inten you intentionally yes. created a culture of dialogue oh, with yes. your son yes as as a counterbalance absolutely to the lack of being heard in your life on several fronts yes I never asked yes no questions <laughs> I knew I knew really long 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 time ago do not ask yes or no questions yeah. when this child comes home from school you know <laughs> mm -hmm. yep. get the Us, conversation going yeah 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 yep. you got that how old are your kids yeah. now you've got three so my wife and I we have a 14 year old a 12 year old and a seven year old they're Ooh, all boys okay. okay and and we do engage them in dialogue I definitely listen to my children I more bet. than my mom listened to me and it, it, it comes with its own you know, frustrations, Sure, sure. you know, but I think it, it, again, it creates respect oh, yes. in a relationship where I want to be sensitive to the fact that, that the dynamic won't always be what it is. Right. And I hope that the culture we create in our home and in our family is one that when tables turn and they no longer need me, that they still want me. Yeah. That they remember being valued, love, respect, uh, respected, uh, and support it in their individuation. I love earlier that. Earlier in life. Love than that. Having to fight me for their own, you know, individuation. Yeah. They're th like, my dad wasn't speaking at me. He was speaking with me. It was, you know, this. That's what, yeah. Yeah. That's so good. That's so good. Um, uh, other, I'm curious about, um, let's move to a different generation. Maybe. Gen X. So I have younger friends. I've always had a group of younger friends who are Gen Xers. So what's their communication uh, way of communicating or their language, whatever you want to call it? Yeah. Great question. Before I give you that, I do want to say that in my research, what I discover is that there's a continuum 
ah. meaning from elders through to, to Gen Z, but there's also, it's a compound effect. So boomers understand elder language. They just add their own preference on top. Okay. Xers understand they just add their own preference. So it doesn't do away with the language of the older generation. Okay. It adds a new preference and a new uh, nuance. That makes, that, that makes sense also. Okay. All right. So we're going to, so Gen Z comes after millennials. Right. So dialogue, dialogical language would be still there, but I think they add on to it. I think their preference is relational language. Hmm. Relational language. And what I mean by relational language is, is difficult to talk relationally is easier to be relational. Hmm. And particularly for, for preachers or for anyone with, with societal, cultural, familial rank and authority mm-hmm. is very important that you come out of that authority into a relational space if you yes. want to connect with Gen Zers. It doesn't mean they won't respect your authority. It doesn't mean they won't seek out mentorship and leadership from credential, you know, people who've earned the right to influence. What it does mean is that I shouldn't wield it. Yes. I shouldn't wield it in every conversation. I should only wield it as necessary. Otherwise, I should seek to connect relationally. And so that's on top of the dialogue. They Gen Z is very relational in their communication. Ah, that's really interesting. T- tell me what, what the... Um, birth years are for Gen Z, the, the range? Yes. Yeah, so the range for Gen Z is late 90s, like 99 till about 2012. Wow. So right now, Gen Zers are in their early 20s. Okay. Down to about, from about 10 years old till about 22, 23. Okay. Wow. All right. Yeah. All right. <laughs> I've taken this all in. <laughs> okay. <laughs> What's, um, yeah, talk about the Gen Xers. So they're, they're, uh, what are they adding on? Um, yeah. yeah. Great questions. Gen X comes right before millennials. And I believe their language is intellectual. I believe Gen Xers, you have to prove it. Statistics, extra biblical sources in your preaching, credential, proof, research, evidence, archaeology citing and i think that is in large part due to their paranoia of being lied to i think gen x was was a generation who who suffered collective broken hearts from institutions they were told to trust failing them the home failed them the church failed them major um what was the first one said failed them what was the first one the home the so home. many of their parents, oh. I mean, divorce 50 to 55% divorce yeah, rate, okay. latchkey kids, the, home, the, ch- wow. um, the church failed them. We watch uh, political figures, you know, fail them. We watch major corporations fail them financially and, and simultaneous to their heart being broken by institutions they were told to trust was the influx of the internet, more post-secondary education, more access to knowledge. And mm-hmm. therefore, protection of self through self-education mm-hmm. from believing what I was told to believe. And so what that means is you have to stimulate the intellect in order to get to the heart. You have to educate to influence. 
you have to you have to fact check you have to you have to respect their opinion and knowledge particularly as a preacher and not presume mm. that because you are a preacher you are most knowledgeable about mm. said subject um that's really so. that's so interesting so i i look at gen x and sometimes look at that them as the middle child that, that yes. gets overlooked <laughs> they are <laughs> and and is that because it's just a small a smaller generation it is. numbers it's not just smaller it's smallest is it is it smallest gen x is the smallest generation in recent american history do so they also want to prove themselves do they i think there i think there's a wedge there too yeah wow. being wet i mean you got to think it seems almost like the world marketing yeah. uh, major job opportunities major city hubs it seems like they just skip from boomers to millennials wow i mean that gen would tick me off little, if i was a gen x in the limelight it would yeah me too <laughs> So you break our hearts and then you skip over us. <laughs> Stomp on us and skip over us. Oh, that's really, really interesting. I hadn't thought about some of this until you read. This is all very, this is all fascinating. <laughs> um, tell me, you mentioned another group too. Well, who, who comes after Gen Z? Are they named yet? I'm sure they are. Yeah. The, the, the name right now is Alpha Generation. I thought I heard you say Alpha something. Alpha okay, generation, Alpha Generation. But they're all, you know, from about 2013 till about now. So we're talking about 10 years old, nine years old to infancy. All right. We, so I've got to, I got to make sure we get this in before we wrap things up. Cause I, I want to okay. know if we look at this and, and the reality of, you know, where you're preaching and where so many pastors are preaching. I mean, yes, we've got some mega churches, but if you look at the, the, the majority of churches in America, North America, I mean, they're, they're small. They're smaller. They're what, 200 yeah. members and less, maybe yeah. even less than that. So um, those especially, they're, they're intergenerational. And some of them mm -hmm. might be even move, maybe pushing on, depending on the denomination, might be older in general. I don't know. But regardless, you, you're, as you stood in the pulpit and as you do week in and week out, you, you see, um, five, is it five generations? Is that what it is? I do. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, so how do you approach putting together a message uh, for a Sunday morning group that, that will hear, hear it in a way that they can take it in? Great, great question. So yeah, I do see five generations, not equally, but right. there's an equitable representation. I think my church is primarily a Gen X church, a young boomer and Gen X church. That's my pastor's age. Okay. But I think the way that you do it, and I, and I agree with you about most churches being 200 under and by, by default intergenerational. What I would say is those churches have an advantage that mega churches don't because the mistake mega churches can make is with the plethora of resources we in turn use that to create generational stratification where we splinter, we splinter yep. this theological concept of household of God, family of God. And we mean well, but we could be splintering the fabric of the spiritual family mm -hmm. by splitting up the generations because we can, you know, we have the resources. We I have like the that thought. I think that's to do so. important. Yeah. 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 So resource, churches, big resources are not always, is not always the yeah, best thing. That's really interesting. Always. 
Yeah. Okay. And it may create some opportunities, but it's also going to create some unique issues. Yeah. And that is a separation of understanding mm-hmm. because we, we're not forced to adapt by worshiping together, yeah. you know, regularly. Yeah. So for the smaller churches, there is this benefit I believe they have that, that the New Testament communicates, and that is that the church is the family of God. So mm-hmm. with that, I'll answer your specific question. How do I communicate across generations? Well, very practically, some of the ways I would encourage communicators to consider is you can do multiple things. First of all, it's going to take some planning because you have to intentionally shape your rhetoric, reasoning, and style to reach mm-hmm. the people you're trying to reach. You have to, be, you have to do it on purpose. Okay. Yep. We already by mistake are connecting with <laughs> the people likely in our generation and the one before us, but sure. on purpose, yeah. we have to, to seek out new generations. Here's some practical ways you can do it. First of all, you can, if you plan your preaching in advance, you can plan to talk about a subject. So for example, this is a mental health awareness month. You know, you may have, you know, uh, you know, Family month, you want to talk about families one month. You may want to talk about money, stewardship one month. If you take a month to speak about a certain subject from a biblical point of view, you can talk about that subject using different generational languages week in and week out. And what you'll find is they they accent each other. They don't compete. They build on. They It's just taking that same concept and looking at it from a different point of yes. view. And it helps give the congregation a well-rounded presentation of said subject yeah so you could do it that way you know the first sunday of the month you could speak to the boomers the second sunday of the month to the Xers, third sunday millennials fourth sunday gen z and what you would have done is taken stewardship and talked about it relationally dialogically intellectually and skeptically and you would have you would have given the congregation different points of different inroads to the same biblical truth that's one way you can do it and i'm also thinking even hearing you say that i'm i'm thinking um the the person sitting in the pew may not even notice you're doing it because there's also going to be a little overlap each week and they're just going to hear about this in a different way it's almost um almost helping them exercise their receptive muscles. I, I don't know how else to say it, but that's so interesting. I think <laughs> I agree a hundred percent. You know what I've discovered, Anita, even with adult congregations, yeah. sometimes they need to hear the same thing four times before they hear it one time. <laughs> yes, actually so, pre- preach on. Cause I even just, you know, this is, this happens to me doing the podcast. You say something like that. And I, I go, pause and then I shake my head. And then what I really want to do is say, say that again, because we do, it's, we need to hear things again. We absolutely do. We do. We do. Despite, and that's regardless of age, stage or generation. So that's one way you could do it. Another way you could do it is you could specifically target a generation with a sermonic or biblical presentation. So you could say, all right, if we're in an intergenerational church, we want to grow our church with millennial-led families. Mm. During family month, for three to four weeks, we're going to talk about the family primarily using dialogue dialogue as our chosen language. 
meaning we're going to ask questions. We're going to create listening spaces. Mm -hmm. We're going to consider different points of views. Though we obviously stay with the biblical principles and points of views, Mm -hmm. but our intended goal is not just to talk about families, but to reach millennial families. And here's how you can do it. You can prepare your church in advance. Hey, everybody, September is going to be family month. And our goal is to impact 50 millennial families. Here's how we're going to do it. We're going to intentionally shape our worship services, our preaching moments, and all of our communication to reach people who were born in the 80s and in the 90s. Now, if that's not you, don't worry, you're not left out. I'm sure you know a millennial. Do you have anybody in your life who you think could benefit from hearing God's word about the family in that generation? Here's what I want to encourage you to do. Either bring them with you or come prepared to learn how to reach them. That's what I'm thinking. I'm like, I want to learn yes, how to better communicate to anyone in my life. You know, <laughs> that's so, so interesting. Yeah, I'm not speaking to you, but I'm speaking to them around you. Yeah. So you can learn how to speak to them because yeah. it's, it's, it's some millennials in your life that yeah. chances are there's a language barrier. And as your pastor, I want to wrestle in public and show you how I'm struggling to grow in this area to honor God and be a missionary to millennials. And here's how you can do it. Here's here's how you communicate the Bible dialogically. And I think if we do it in that way, we could we could equip our churches and also, you know, reach different yeah. generations. I Daryl, I oh I it's so interesting to me anyway. I love this kind of thing. But um, what's your hope? You know, you, you uh, guaranteed, I'm positive, you wrote Speaking Across Generations with a, a specific goal in mind or desire. You know, someone picks up a copy a- and reads it. What, what do you want them to walk away with? Yes, that is a great question. I, I'm getting a lump in my throat thinking about it. Hmm. Um, my hope, <laughs> my hope, for people who read this book is that it creates hope. Mm. I really believe that a breakdown of communication is a tension point that creates brokenness in so many different areas of life. Whether it's a marriage and there's a struggle to communicate a parent with a child, co-workers or co-laborers on the team, political world powers. I was, just, I was just thinking that political world power. I mean, globally. Wow. Right. Yeah. More like if we just, if there was some kind of mediation, some kind of way mm-hmm. we could just communicate. And, and when we bring up those different ways in which conflict could happen, we know intuitively that com- true communication is more than words. Yeah. It's not that you don't know the words, true communication is soul connection, is listening, is respecting the otherness of, is it's the ability to speak truthfully without fear of loss of love. Yes. It, is, it is the ability to be understood, yeah. studied, respected, mm-hmm. and heard for, for what you mean by yes. what you say. So my yes. hope for people who pick up this book is that they have hope that even if it's going to take some work for us to learn the language of other generations to be hopeful, number one, that we can do it. Mm. And that no matter what it costs us, 
to be hopeful that it is worth it. Yeah. It is worth it. Yeah. Whatever, whatever yeah. energy yeah. it takes for us to learn, particularly as preachers or family members or leaders, whatever energy we have to expand to learn how to better communicate with people born during a different time than us, mm -hmm. that it, is, it can be done, have mm -hmm. that hope and it's worth it. Yeah. So, and it's worth it. And it's worth it. Wow. Well, I think I, I always end with a tagline on my podcast. I think the tagline okay. is even more important today after this conversation. First of all, I want to say thank you to you for your good writing and good thank work um, in your book, Speaking Across Generations. So I want to say that first of all, I'll let folks know, you know, to be looking for Daryl Hall's book, Speaking Across Generations. Um, so yeah, great to have you. And then secondarily, I'll, I'll close off and say, keep the conversation going, no matter what generation you're in. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's great. 